from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey, everybody. We're happy to be with you again. Yes. Thanks for joining us. And if you're new to our show, welcome. Yeah. Happy to have you. Maybe somebody shared this with you, and this is your first episode uh, we hope you enjoy it, and we hope you explore some of the many other episodes. What number of episode is this? Uh, 268. 268 Just episodes. Just a few. Just a few. Yeah. Over the, over the past several years. Yes. Well, speaking of the past several years, we could just talk about the past couple weeks. You had an, another amazing trip to share about. I did. I went to Canada. Canada. What Canada. is that? It's that country north of the United States. Oh, Canada. Yes, that one. <laughs> right. Okay. And we used to travel quite a bit to Canada, but since COVID, this was my first trip back. Oh, wow. There were some really strict lockdown issues that made it hard for non-Canadians. I don't know why I keep saying that. We have Canadians listening, listening, who I are know. thinking, why does thank he keep you. saying Canada? Yes, thank you. Hello, Canada. Hello, Canada. <laughs> you maple leaf people, you. We love you. But man, things are messed up in your country. Like they are really messed up. Like they're, mm. they're several steps ahead of the United States. We're messed up. Mm. But they're even more messed up in terms of buying into the whole kind of um, agenda of transgender craziness. Um, and for the first time in my life, yeah. doing this work for nearly 30 years, I had to, we had to hire a bodyguard mm. because we had a threats and the local um, government, the mayor of Calgary was trying to get us shut down. And they did this 12 page, this group, this transgender rights group did a, 12-page write-up on me on the internet that I don't even want to look at about how horrible I am and mm. transphobic and all this, all these other accusations. Um, and there were protesters who came. We were expecting, we were told, expect disruptions in the middle of the event, like people standing mm. up and screaming or making a scene. And, and we were advised to have security there, so we had to hire security. Um, thank you, Lord. None of that. There were protesters. They did try to shut it down unsuccessfully. They also, they also blocked ticket sales. Like they, they went on to our online ticket provider. Mm -hmm. And if you put a bunch of tickets in reserve, like there's a 20 minute window where nobody else can buy tickets oh. and they, they would pretend that they were buying all of them. Uh-huh. And so for 20 minutes, the, the whole website would be shut down, right. and then they didn't buy any, but they kept doing this over and over again. Like, they were organized, really trying to shut this event down. Wow. That was my first real encounter with that. I mean, I've had some people stand up and yell and leave an event or something because they're misunderstanding what's being said or accusing me of this or that. That is so rare. In, mm -hmm. in 30 years of doing this, I'd say that happened two or three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the first time there were active protesters outside, yeah. and we were trying to get, you know, people were trying to shut us down. And thank you, Lord. Everything went well. There were no interruptions to the event. We had 900 people come out, oh, that's most good. of them young people. They were so excited by the message, so empowered, not in a sense of, 
we got the goods on you, you transgender people. Not that kind of power, but empowered in the sense of the truth is beautiful and the truth is liberating and the truth is exciting and the truth is healing. And yeah, you can just feel the, the forces of darkness that, that want, do not want this light to shine. But yeah, the Lord uh, provided for our needs and all went well. Yeah, and thank you, Lord. Thank you for the people who organized the event that yeah. took a lot of prayer. There was a lot of prayer. And a lot of courage. And a lot of courage. So. And uh, the police even were on our side. Interestingly enough, the mayor tried to get the police to come to shut us down, and the police refused. Uh, they said, "This is there's nothing wrong with this event." And wow. yeah, that was that was an eye opener. It could be it could be a, a sign of things to come, even here in the United States. Who knows? Mm. Mm. I hope not, but I think it is where we're going. Wow. Yeah. I'm glad you had beautiful encounters with the people there. Yeah, that, I sure that's did. That's what you went to do. You went to share a, a beautiful message, and it was shared. It was received. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and I, I just see different faces going before my, my mind's eye right now. Uh, as you know, Wendy, one of the things I really like to do is sit at the book table after an event and meet people and greet people and uh, talk to people. It, it's, it keeps me grounded. It just it keeps it real for me. So if you ever come out to one of our events, please come say hello to me and just say you're a pod, just let me know you're a podcast listener. And that would, yeah, I look forward to meeting all our podcast listeners. By the way, Wendy, you have some real fans in Canada. Why did you say that? I don't that? know why I keep saying that. That's goofy. I know. But you know I'm goofy, Hi, so I do that. <laughs> yes, you have some you have some definite big Wendy West fans up in Canada. Oh, so funny. Okay, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> give me some updates about the TOB Institute now. Yes, I want to give a shout out of thanks to the people who donated to our sterilization reversal fund. Oh, awesome. Uh, but we have a long way to go if we're going to respond to the need. And if you haven't heard the last couple episodes where we've talked about this, I said on a Pints with Aquinas episode some weeks ago that if anybody, we were talking about vasectomies and tubal ligations and reversals, and I said, don't let money be an obstacle. If you don't have the money, I'll do whatever I can to help find donors to, to make it work. Uh, we've been rather overwhelmed by the requests. Awesome. Um, it's a good thing to be overwhelmed It's a great thing by. to be overwhelmed by. It shows the hunger and the need. The people are really repentant when they hear the good news and they want to make amends. Um, but it is expensive and insurance doesn't pay for it. So we have set up a fund. We need to rely on the good-hearted people that listen to this podcast and follow the work of the Institute. If you would be willing Please, I, I know you're, you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, oh, other people will do it or I don't have the time. Or even if you just gave 10 bucks or 20 bucks or 10,000 bucks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, we have, to, we have to, to meet the demand. We have to raise something like $100,000. Uh, and we haven't even raised $1,000 yet. Good to so know. There's a long way to go there. So Please, if you're feeling a little nudge there, just to help out a little bit, would you click the link in the show notes here? And when you enter the amount, 
um, and a, there's a field there that says, what is this for? Just put in reversal fund and we will know what that, for, what that is for. And a hundred percent of what you give will go right to that, to people who are in need, who want to have a reversal and need funds to do it. Mm. It's the body of Christ coming together. The body of Christ coming together to make it work. And uh, you asked about Institute. That's one thing I wanted to share. We finally have it um, finalized. We are going to Rome for a pilgrimage in September. We had planned on going to the Holy Land. We already had a, a, a large number of people signed up to go to the Holy Land in 2024. Because of all the conflicts in the Holy Land, we had to change that. So we are going to Rome. And the the uh, information, there's a link below in the show notes. Check that out. We would love to have you come. It's going to be an amazing trip. We're going to begin in Assisi. Then we're going to have several days in Rome to do the Holy City and go to all the sites. And um, then there will be an extension that is limited where I believe people are going. I think it's, Flor- it's Florence. Florence and Venice, maybe. Florence and Venice. That's right, Wendy. That's right. So details below. Pray about it. Think about it. I'd love to have you join us. Here's a question from a patron named Nicholas. Hello, Nicholas. Thank you so much for supporting our mission. We're so grateful to you. He says, hello, Christopher and Wendy. Thanks for sharing your gifts with the church. This is Nicholas, a fellow lover of Our Lady of Guadalupe and Rocky Balboa. Oh, that Nicholas. You actually know who he is. Okay, I absolutely do. So here's what he says. Christopher, you are a lover of words, and recently the word remain has been coming up in my prayer. Oh, good one. The Apostle John uses the word often in his writings. I know the word has to do with remaining as other things pass away. Certainly someone living the fast food diet does not remain, nor does the Stoic remain or embrace the beauty of a Thanksgiving feast. I know you love the Apostle John, so I'm wondering if this word has ever come up for you in prayer and if you have any deeper insights into this word and its origin for John. Thanks. Bless you, Nicholas, and bless you in your marriage, and he's a new dad, and a lot of beautiful things unfolding in Nicholas's life. Uh, I just want to clarify for those who may not know, the imagery that Nicholas is using here comes from my writings and teachings about what do we do with our hunger? What do we do with that cry of the heart? Not our hunger for food, uh, but our hunger for for life, for love, for joy, for happiness. We're either going to take it to the fast food approach, which is the secular culture's immediate promise of gratification, or we're going to try to starve ourselves because we think the whole world is evil and bad and our desires are bad. Or we're going to discover the banquet and learn how to open that hunger to the living God who becomes bread from heaven to feed that hunger. Anyway, that's the background of the imagery he was using. Nicholas, yes, I have spent some time with this word remain. And other translations say abide, like remain in my love, abide in my love. Uh, Yeah, it's a rich biblical word. And... The way I receive it, the way I hear it, is one of open, trusting receptivity. Mm. Open, trusting receptivity. And I'll give you one of my favorite examples of it from the Gospel of John. 
Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That word as is very important. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And then before he gives us the new commandment to love one another as he loves us, he first says, remain in my love. Remain in my love. And I hear that as an invitation to that open, trusting, and we could even use the word bridal receptivity. When you look at the theology of a man's body and a woman's body, you see that it's the man who gives the life-giving seed. It's the woman who opens and receives, and the seed abides in her. The seed remains in her. It's a powerful, powerful image. And we can, the point here and of that progression as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, remain in my love, and only then saying, love one another as I have loved you. The point of that progression is very simply, we cannot give what we have not opened trustingly to receive and remain with and in. Jesus himself, the second person of the Trinity, he is equal to God, uh, but he is, he is equal to God the Father. But they are different persons. And in the relationship of the Trinity, it is the Father who gives and the Son who eternally remains or abides in the love of the Father. From all eternity, the Son is abiding, remaining in the love of the Father. That's what enables him to take flesh and love us with the love of the Father because he's abided in it. That's why before he says, love one another as I have loved you, he continues the pattern. He says, do what I've done. Abide, abide, remain open, trustingly to receive the love I want to pour into you. Let this divine seed remain in you and you'll give birth to loving others. That's how it works. That's how I've received the word remain in my prayer. And I hope, Nicholas, that that's a blessing to you. And maybe you can remain with that for a little bit. Mm. Yeah, I think that's profound and beautiful. I love um, that both you and Nicholas have that instinct to pause and remain with the words of Scripture and allow the the deep meaning the Lord is communicating to enter beyond the mind and into the heart. I feel that just both of you, you and Nicholas, giving that example to all of us of how the scripture can reach deep within us when we're willing to take the time or pay attention to that, which is, you know, moving powerfully, um, through the scripture, it really blesses me and encourages me. Yeah, and it's a great example of of how to approach scripture. Like when 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 a word pops out, like Nicholas said in his question, this word's just been speaking to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of popping or or showing itself in my prayer. 
that's a great, great example to all of us of how to approach Scripture. When a word or a phrase or a line or a story kind of pops out at you when you're reading through Scripture, that's a time to pause and say, okay, Lord, what are you saying to me through this? And a word or a phrase can become like a, I don't know, like the, like the, the wardrobe into Narnia where a whole world gets opened up to you that you hadn't seen before. Mm. So, yeah, just an encouragement to spend time with the words that, that kind of stand out to you. There's probably heaven's knocking on, the, heart, on the, the door of your heart there and saying, hey, I want to show you something here. So, mm-hmm. yeah, pay That's attention good. to those things. And Nicholas, as a fellow Rocky fan, I'm sure you are feeling the sadness of the recent loss of Carl Weathers, who played Apollo Creed. So may his soul rest in peace and may he know eternally when Christ returns the resurrection of his body. Amen. Amen. Our next question is from a listener named Jean-Pierre. Hello, Jean-Pierre. Thank you for all the content you've made thus far. I'm a student from South Africa and I admire the Catholic Church for its reverence, especially concerning the Eucharist and sexual union. Recently, I've been delving into the Catholic Church's stance on contraception. I'm determined to understand it thoroughly to make a compelling case. I've been collecting sources and aim to prepare a talk for Ratio Christi South Africa Mm. on contraception, a topic they haven't addressed yet. Given their focus on academic lectures, I need a solid grasp of the logic behind the Catholic argument and responses to potential objections. I've made progress, but I have a few questions without clear answers. Unfortunately, I don't have access to a nearby Catholic church for guidance. I'm currently exploring Brian Muladi's article, The Moral Nature and Practice of Natural Family Planning versus Contraception. As I've gone through it, I've come across several statements that lacked detailed explanations. Where do you recommend that I go to learn more about this topic? Jean-Pierre, first of all, uh, I just want to say good on you for for really going for it and wanting to understand this issue. It is one of the, let me rewind, it is the central issue of our day when it comes to understanding how and why we got into the horrific mess that the culture and the church and the world is in today. It is impossible to climb out of this deep hellhole of gender confusion, marital breakdown, pornographic distortion, unless we recover what the what all the Christian churches up until 1930 understood about the immorality of contraception. Keeping fertility in the sexual equation is the linchpin. Fertility is the linchpin to all of sexual morality. Reverence for fertility, reverence for the fact that genitals are meant to generate is the linchpin of all sexual morality. And sexual morality is the linchpin of a flourishing culture, right? We live in a culture of death because we don't reverence the fact that genitals are meant to generate. And when we fail to reverence that genitals are meant to generate, the only thing that can result is that civilization degenerates. That's the world we live in right now. 
all this confusion about gender goes back to the original attack on gender, which is contraception. Because gender means, when you pick apart the word and you look at the roots of it, before the modern world detached gender from generation and genitals, gender means the manner in which you generate new life. That Greek word gen, we see it in words like generous, generate, progeny, genealogy, gender, genitals, right? It means to produce or give birth to. The original attack on gender is the the concerted effort to render our genitals unable to generate. That's how we got in this mess. I, so good on you for really, really wanting to understand it because in really coming to understand it, you will find the way out of the mess we're in. Now we're in deep. So we got a lot of work to do here. Uh, I'm going to point you to a couple resources. If you want a thorough examination from me, the most thorough examination from me I've ever done from a, a more scholarly perspective, and it sounds like that's what you're looking for, is my commentary on the theology of the body called Theology of the Body Explained. Uh, there's a whole chapter on defending Humanae Vitae, St. Paul VI document from 1968, reconfirming the church's constant teaching on the immorality of contraception. Uh and in the entirety of the theology of the body, let me just put it this way. Uh, I'll just quote John Paul II. The entirety of the theology of the body is itself, John Paul II says, an ample commentary on the encyclical Humanae Vitae. John Paul II gave us the theology of the body precisely to give us a thorough, biblical, compelling response to the rejection of Humanae Vitae, and more so to show us compelling reasons for embracing humanae vitae, right? So read the theology of the body itself. If, if you need help with that, read theology of the body explained. That's going to be the, the most thorough um, scholarly approach. If you're looking for a little more popular approach, my book, Theology of the Body for Beginners. If you're looking for an even more kind of um, accessible than that even, would be my Q&A book, Good News About Sex and Marriage. There's a whole chapter on contraception there. If you're looking for a variety of articles, I'm just looking at my, I have a whole shelf in my library here in my office on the contraception question. So many places I could point you, but I'm going to point you to two volumes edited by Dr. Janice Smith, a longtime friend of mine, uh, called Why Humanae Vitae Was Right, A Reader. There's volume one and there's volume two. And I read volume one back in the 90s, and man, I loved it. It was so good. Uh, and then she came out with another volume maybe four or five years ago, and I contributed a chapter to that volume. So yeah, those two volumes, can't go wrong there. So much valuable information to read there. So uh, I think I'll leave it at that for the sake of brevity. Yeah. I, I was thinking of Janet Smith right away when he asked his question. So I really do hope that Jean-Pierre is able to get several of these books that you've mentioned because so much will be so helpful and, and strong arguments. I think um, for me, I just want to express my gratitude as I, as I think about this topic as you're talking about it for Humanae Vitae, which not all of our listeners would know that you mentioned what it is, a document that was written by Pope Paul VI in, 19, in 1968, 
how it articulates how important it is that we understand and live according to God's plan for marriage, for our bodies, for our sexuality. And I, my whole life has been so impacted by that. My parents were impacted yeah. by that and their choices. Tell that story about how they, how they started <laughs> dating. Yeah, they actually started dating in 1965, which was before Humanae Vitae was written. And at the time, it was known that the Catholic Church was looking at this issue of contraception, which was kind of the background before Pope Paul VI released Humanae Vitae. Yeah, it was looking, the, the church was specifically looking at the question of the pill, which mm-hmm. was a new technology. Right. And the church in her wisdom said, we need to study this. Uh, what is this new technological reality? And does it does it qualify as contraception as we've traditionally understood it? So that was the background there. Yeah. So that so it was in the air that people were yes. talking about this issue. And Absolutely. that's how that's you're, when my parents yeah. met and my my father was leading a book discussion uh, of and I wish I knew what book it was, but a book written by a bishop about the constant teaching of the church against contraception. And my mother attended that book discussion group, but with an attitude of, I think the church is going to change its teaching. And so she was kind of arguing with the content of the book that was being discussed. But it was, that was the context where they first met and my father pursued her, um, wanting to talk more about that and other things. And uh, eventually they did decide not to my mother agreed. <laughs> I should say my father wasn't considering it, but not to contracept and their openness to life is, you know, just blessed me so much. And I just, I know that this gift of never having contracepted, thank you, Lord. I am so grateful, so grateful, even though it's hard sometimes, it's still a gift. It's a gift to know the meaning of our marriage. Amen. To be a gift to one another, to be willing to sacrifice ourselves in service of life. That's what we came together for and continue to come together for. So it's it's a beautiful, worthy pursuit. And I'm very excited for Jean-Pierre and everyone else he shares it with. Yeah, go for it, Jean-Pierre. You're, you're, you're investing your time very well here in really wanting to get to the bottom of this because once we see this, it changes the way we see, this is not an exaggeration. It changes the way we see the whole universe. You start to see the whole universe as God created it to be, as one glorious revelation of the life-giving love that we find in the Trinity. That's what all of creation announces. Every blade of grass, every buzzing bee, every bubbling brook, every star in the heavens all of creation is singing the eternal life-giving love song of the Trinity, and we are invited to sing that song too. But there's an enemy who doesn't want us to sing that song, and he attacks us right here, right in the genitals. That's what he's after. He wants to render our genitals unable to generate, to change the love song uh, into a lust song, And rather than bringing life to the world, it brings death. And that's the culture of death we live in today. So go for it, brother. Share it. Proclaim it. And I think you're going to see a lot of grace. Our next question is from a listener named Alejandra. Hello, Alejandra. 
I have three children under five, and sometimes I question my life and what I was meant to do. It seems as though everyone congratulates a woman who works or gets a degree, but no one congratulates the stay-at-home mom. Congratulations, Alejandra. Congratulations. <laughs> you have given such an open, generous yes to God's calling on your life. Congratulations. Woo! <laughs> she continues, I love being at home with my kids, but it saddens me the way the world thinks. Heck, even the way my family and friends think. Well, that's a great follow-up to what we were just talking about. Because it, it demonstrates the point. There mm. is this, this whole push to make women who want to be mothers and raise their children as stay-at-home moms, to make them feel less than, to make them feel guilty, to make them feel unappreciated, to make them feel like they're missing out. That whole message comes from that, that attack against the image of God in us. And, you know, this would be a, a long conversation to get into all the, the nuances of, of, you know, women in the workplace, women at home. Uh, I think there are, have been some advances in modern culture that have given women opportunities that they are meant to have that they haven't always had. But when that is done at the expense of motherhood, we have a problem. Have we not realized that unless women say yes to motherhood, the whole of the human race is, is in dire trouble? Mm. <laughs> Do we not understand that? Uh, I mean, it, it, it should be obvious to us, but we have been so warped by this modern way of thinking that we can't even see the beauty, the splendor, the glory, the goodness of motherhood and fatherhood. It's, it's because we view the world through condom-colored glasses that we, we have these problems. Mm. Uh, and again, there's, a, there's a, a rightful place to say women can contribute more to the world than motherhood. Of course they can. Men can contribute more to the world than fatherhood. Of course they can. But what women will contribute to the world will never be fully realized when, it's, when motherhood is the enemy, right? Mm. Or when we think that motherhood doesn't have something to do with what women contribute to the world. Mm. <laughs> I mean, my gosh, we're so confused about these issues. Uh, I just want to say to all of the mothers out there who bear that burden of not being recognized, of being put down, of being sneered at at the grocery store because you have your children in tow, uh, all the, the negativity that this world that is so confused and deceived about the meaning of being human. I want to say to all of those mothers, thank you for fighting the good fight. Thank you for resisting those lies. Thank you for enduring those sneers and accusations. Thank you for your sacrifice for your children. And I want to shout out to my mom. Thank you, mom. Hmm. Thank you, mom. Thank you, mom, for all you sacrificed to raise me and our our my siblings, your other children, and thank you to my dad for all you did to provide to enable my mom to stay home, which had a lasting, absolutely lasting impact on my whole life. 
Uh, it's not the only way that, that it can work out um, well, but I mean, if you look at the natural reality, look, just look at the theology of our bodies. Look at the reality of the needs of an infant. The infant needs the breast and men don't have them to give. And the woman needs uh, uh, the safety of, of a home and an environment where she can nurture those children at the breast. She needs to be provided for. She needs to be protected so that that natural reality can unfold. Again, there are, there, there are circumstances in which that's not possible, and I'm not here to scold anybody or shame anybody if that's not the way it worked out for you. But when you look at the natural reality, if it is at all possible— for the man to provide the environment that allows the mom to nurse those babies and give them the, the jumpstart on life that that strong nurturing bond creates, man, that, that, that's the best way to go. That's the best way to go because it's the natural way to go. And God designed us that way for a reason. And I think we need to honor that. Uh, so thank you, moms, uh, all you moms out there for what you put up with. And thank you for your sacrifices. Yeah. And I, I just want to encourage uh, Alejandra um, and, and all mothers who are listening to this, just as you have been, Christopher, that um, you are giving an irreplaceable gift. The children that you are raising are unrepeatable gifts that the Lord desires to have in this world, and your care is so important. Sometimes when I am uh, around a mother of, say, like a maybe a one-year-old, I will say to them, thank you for saving this person's life, because one-year-olds are so dangerous that <laughs> if they did not have mothers aware of their safety, the truth. they would not Continue. Wendy, you know what? I've never <laughs> thought I've never quite thought this through or thought of it in those terms, but you have saved all of our children's lives Absolutely. on countless That's right. occasions. That's right. And so has every mother, really. And yeah. you're you're saving your children's <laughs> lives because never, they can't they can't safely exist without you. Yeah, so never thank you for that. that and um yeah, I think if if that pain that we feel when we're um, we're suffering and people treat us like, well, that's your own fault, you know, and, and they're, instead of, you know, trying to help us see the good that we're doing in the midst of a hard time, they just kind of are soothing themselves in their own selfish lives by telling us, you made your bed, now lie in it kind mm -hmm. of attitude, which is painful. It doesn't help. Um that that if we can have the eyes and the wisdom to see um, that what we have chosen is valuable, like the Lord values our sacrifice. You know, the culture does value sacrifice, as Alejandro was saying, sacrifices in order to get a degree or to run a marathon or to do some other goal. And yet this is a far more worthy and meaningful goal and it's not being properly valued. Lord, help us to hear your voice in how much you value the sacrifices that go into motherhood and how much you see and treasure the joys mm. of that 
relationship, that bond of mother and child, that that is a life-giving, meaningful joy right there in itself. Lord, thank you. Help us to hear your voice. When we're confronted by the way others think that is not valuing what is truly valuable, and help us also, Lord, to to pray for those people who are perhaps for what uh, any number of reasons um, causing us pain, thinking that it prevents them from feeling a certain pain. So, Lord, we lift all these people that have hurt us in our journey of motherhood up to you for your mercy, Lord, please have mercy on them. And I want to give a shout out to the working moms too, and all the sacrifices that they make to pull it all together. Uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's necessary for the mom to work. Uh, we, have a, we have working moms right here at the Theology of the Body Institute, uh, working moms who have nursing babies. And, and you know, obviously we're flexible in, in allowing all that to happen. And um, if we can't be flexible in that regard here at the Theology of the Body Institute, I don't know where you can be. But yeah, th- there's, a, there's such a sacrifice that goes into raising children's. Both from the mom, raising children's. Did I just make a plural out of a double plural? I think I said raising children's. <laughs> I didn't hear it. <laughs> Sounded like Nacho Libre. Um, yes, there's such a sacrifice that goes into raising children on both the mother's part and the father's part to make it all work, pay the bills, get the kids educated, and oh man, and it's ongoing. We have five <laughs> kids. We know all about it. Thank you, Lord, for all the joys and challenges of family life. Thank you for all that we learn through the joys and challenges of family life. Thank you, Lord, for the ways that you prepare us to participate forever in the family that is the Trinity Mm. through the joys and challenges of family life. And may we know in our families, Lord, that each person, each person in our family, even the most annoying, even the most troubling, each person is a gift, an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift. And by your grace, we can all become what we are. Amen to that. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. 